us your perspective. Appreciate you taking the time to do that. Here's what we're going to do. Would you all grab your surveys and stand up with me? Stand up. And then you sections over here, you lovely sections, you're just going to pass them right down into the aisle over there. And we've got some folks coming. And then you guys over here and you section over there, you're going to do the same right into the center aisle. So do that. And as you do that, greet one another and say hello and, and say down with the Patriots and say go LA Rams. And, uh, and greet one another and uh, thank one another for being here today. All right. All right. Thanks, you all, for doing that. How are we today? I don't know. We've been kind of in survey mode and the whole thing, but uh, I'm, I'm glad we're here. We're in this series called, what's it called? Walk This Way, right? We're in the middle of this New Testament letter from the Apostle Paul called Ephesians, and he's right in this section that at first glance might just trigger you, might just make you feel a little bit like, oh, that's old churchy church, churchified religion, where it's just like, don't do this, don't do that, because Paul's saying, look, there's two ways to walk. There's a way to walk like this in the way of love, and then there's a way to walk like this in really the way of hurt. And he starts going through really, really practical things. We've already talked about the way of lying and how that breaks relationship or the way of telling the truth and how that builds relationship. Last week, talked about power. How does power help us walk in love versus powering up and breaking relationship? And in fact, through the course of this series, we're gonna talk about encouragement. We're gonna talk about drinking. We're gonna talk about sexuality. We're gonna talk about greed. There's a whole list of things that I used to look at and go, ooh, that just feels judgmental. That feels harsh. That feels this. But when looking through, and I really believe this is the context, and I want to say to you, like, if you haven't done this yet, like, grab a Bible, grab your Bible, and just look at, like, Ephesians chapter 4, maybe, like, verse 17, and run all the way through chapter 5, verse 20, and what you'll see is Paul is talking to a people. He's talking to them as a community and saying, how do you live in relationship together? And how does that relationship flourish? Because that's what you and I are most after, really. When you boil it all down, that's what we're most after in our lives and in our hearts, is it not? To grow and, 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 and build relationship versus constantly tearing them down and breaking them. And so that's what we most want, and that's what Paul is practically most after. And today, we're going to talk about how our relationships can either be, be built upon or broken upon around our J-O-B. We're going to talk about work today. What do you think? How many of for you, that's an exciting thought? I get to talk about my job, that's awesome, right? I know. And, and by the way, when we talk about job, that could be many different things. I, right now, I'm in my office. Right? I had a friend remind me that, like, not too many people have hundreds of people come into your office on a weekly basis, but that's, that's the privilege that I have for you. You might be boarding a plane 
later this afternoon to go travel as you often do. You might have a night shift. You might work in the service industry. You might be in sales. You might be an entrepreneur and you just don't even know how to turn it off because you're just in that startup mode. You might be in education. You could be uh, in engineering. You could be in the tech or IT space. You could have the job where there's no workers comp, no time off, and that's because you're a stay-at-home parent right? Mom or dad, where you're just constantly pouring in and loving your kids. One of the most important jobs that you have. You could be working right now and not even listening to me. You're texting somebody. You're, you're on email. I know. I know because I used to sit uh, in the blue seat when I was working in the marketplace, and I know how challenging and complex it can be. Here's the passage from Ephesians chapter 4 that Paul uh, gets to it, and it's just straightforward, but I'm going to tell you up front, it's got some sizzle to it. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. And what Paul is doing is he's juxtaposing, remember we're talking about things that build relationship or break relationship? He's contrasting stealing with sharing. And stealing is that where I take what I don't have and I use it for myself. And sharing is I take what I do have and I give it to others. You see the contrast? I mean, it's really clear. That's the context Paul is offering us. But I want to drill more deeply down around, in particular, this idea of work. Why do you work? Just think for a second. You don't have to shout it out loud or anything. But So when you go get on that plane tonight, or when you start your shift later today, or when you drive in tomorrow morning, what's what's your why? Why do you do that? I heard someone say, so I can one day stop working. That's called retirement, right? Why do you do that? Just thinking like, what's your big why? What's your big why? So a, a survey was taken by a group called GloboForce. They, they interviewed 2,700 workers, and, and here's what they found. Now, if they were to a- have asked this uh, a few decades ago, and, and, and you were to ask somebody of a different generation, why do you work? They go, what do you, what do you, what do you mean why? Be, to be a responsible human being, right? To, to provide for me and my, my family and to be a contributing member of society, that's a stupid question. Why would you even ask why do you work? It wasn't even something we thought. Today, the answers are different. Number one, meaning. Meaning to be to know that there is a fulfillment between your values and the values of your company, to know that you are what you are doing directly ties to the company's gain or, or benefit, and in particular, the sense of people recognizing you for that. That your sense of you have meaning and you have fulfillment and you have purpose in your job. Number two is connection or partnership with those they work with, in particular, um, bosses and supervisors, that there's a high level of engagement, that there's frequent check-ins, that there's feedback loops, and there's a sense of, again, what I do matters, my boss knows what I do, and he or she is integrated into helping me succeed so that we can all succeed. So number one is meaning, number two I just call partnership, and number three, is anybody want to take a guess? Belonging, belonging. This sense of where I work should be integrated with with where I live. 
and, and, and that we want not so much this, I, I go to work and I stay at work and then I come home and I do my life, but actually where work becomes a third place to us, where your, your life gets celebrated and, and when sad things happen, that gets mourned with. And so pregnancies and engagements and, and weddings and, and funerals and all of those things get integrated where now work becomes this sense of a community together, meaning connection or partnership and a deep sense of belonging. How many of you, when you thought about why you work, you're going, okay, that kind of got maybe different words, but that kind of got a little bit where I am. Anybody? Not many. Interesting. Were you all just about money? It's just like, I want to get paid. I just got to get paid. Isn't that interesting that money doesn't even get mentioned at all? Which, um, which here's, here's, my, here's my personal belief about that. Money doesn't get mentioned because we love to say it's not about the money, and the more that we say that it actually is about the money, money is that, that thing that drives it, and of course, we need it, but, I, but it is interesting that it doesn't even get stated up at the very top. And what's more interesting is those things that actually do get stated, because if you go all the way back to ask why do we work, there is a theology of work, and here's what we find. Meaning, partnership, and belonging. That God, here's the, here's the quick theology of work. One is, God is a worker and a rester, and he worked to create all that he called good and very good, and by his Holy Spirit today, he is still working today. God is a worker, and two, he made you in his image. And so as part of our design, the original intent of God as our maker is that he called us to work, and that's what we did. As the stories tell, Adam named the animals. That was a job. Adam and Eve together, they were called to steward the earth. That's called the creation mandate. And that before sin even entered the world, I know sometimes we think like work is a byproduct of a broken world. We have to work. No, God actually says you get to work. You get to join me and do this together for the flourishing of all creation to the point where many scholars believe that work will be in heaven. I'm sorry to disappoint you with that, that actually there's no sense of retirement, that actually when we experience the heavenly realm, that there will be purpose, there will be meaning. And some of you might connect with that because some of you are retired and you're like, why does that not seem like what I thought it would be? I can only golf so many rounds and it doesn't quite satisfy me. So maybe, maybe you're a trust fund kid and you're like, I thought I'd inherit all this money, I could do nothing, but there's something despairing about that, that if we get in touch with our hearts, we get in touch with the things that make us feel fully alive, work is part of it. Meaning, partnership, belonging. I was with a buddy many, many years ago, kind of a small group setting, and he, uh, he happened to mention that he gives his wife, who's a, who was a stay-at-home mom, he gives her performance reviews. <laughs> Time for water. <laughs> I said, you do what? He goes, yeah, I give her performance reviews. Why? He goes, well, she asked me to. I said, I don't care. I don't care what she asked. Why would you do that? And he went on to say this, like, and, and his wife, I mean, she, it's not, she wears no bonnet or anything. Like, she used to work in the marketplace. She's an awesome gal. But, but here's what his answer, that when she switched from the marketplace to the home, she got no feedback. 
She had no sense of what I'm doing, does it really matter to anyone? She had no sense of belonging. And like I said earlier, no comp time, no benefits, no, none of these things. She was feeling lost. And so something about the, the very, I would say, unique trust in their own relationship, this mutuality that they, had, that they had grown, this foundation by which she could safely ask her husband to do that. And I began to think, I go, okay, now I, that makes a little more sense to me. Still wouldn't do it. Makes sense to me. <laughs> Maybe enough so I... I went home that, uh, that night and said to my wife, hey, honey, I've got an idea. And then I got my own performance review <laughs> handed to me. No, I didn't do that, and I'm not suggesting that, but it does just speak to this deep thing, which is really dignity, that deep sense of purpose and having value to the sake of others, that I have this dignity. And many of us in this room have been in a place in our lives, whether by job transition, maybe by choice, most often not by choice, but by the thousands today through the government shutdown, we know how despairing it can be to not have that sense of meaning and purpose that oftentimes a vocation can bring, that a vocation can offer us. And so the Apostle Paul brings us this beautiful kind of framework and a little bit of a, of a challenge. And I just want to unpack this as we, as we go along. Look with me here. By the way, we're sorry about the center screens. We lost our, we lost our lumens um, at about 8.40 this morning. Um, so thanks for just referencing the sides with me. So he says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. So we talked about stealing, some, taking something that you don't have, and um, keeping it for, for yourself. Now, remember, we're looking through everything through this rubric of relationship. How does stealing, it's kind of obvious, but let's talk about it. How does stealing break relationship? Have you ever been stolen from? What was the feeling? Betrayal, right? And when you've been betrayed, you lose what? Trust, right? And when you can't trust somebody, you can't what? Grow in relationship with them because trust is the commodity of relationship, right? Have you ever stolen from somebody? Of course you have. Of course, you, of course I have. I can think about different moments, whether it was tangible or intangible, and what happens? Well, the same thing. We lose trust with the other person, whether that was an employer, whether that was a spouse, whether that was a, a friend or whatever. And we lose trust with ourselves. Now we're talking about two different relationships. The relationship I have within myself and the relationship that I have with the other person. And what's going on within me is when I lose trust with myself, then I lose self-esteem. And when I lose self-esteem, I begin to experience self-loathing, which leads me to shame. And then it's a cyclical thing. I feel shame, I don't know how to get out of that shame, and so I wanna do something that will make me feel better, and so I will, and then you fill in the blank. In this case, I will steal to make me feel momentarily better, which will make me feel really bad, which will ultimately lead me to a place of shame, so I'll do it over and over again. Do you see how it's impacting the relationship with others, and do you see how by taking what's not mine and keeping it for myself actually harms the relationship I even have with my own soul? And so Paul says, don't, don't do that. Now, here's what I want to call you to do. And he says, you must work. Now, that word for work, it's imperative in its form, 
and it, it really means like work hard. It doesn't mean have a job. It means at whatever you have been given and entrusted with, like go for it, leave it on the field, get after it. And then he uses these terms, look with me here, he says, so that you might be useful. Now remember, he's countering from somebody who's stealing. He's like, no, now I want you to be useful. Now what does that word mean? The word in the Greek is agathon, which means good, but good not just for yourself, good for the sake of others. So you see this through the lens, again, what? Of relationship, of community, so that you're going to do something useful. Now this could be uh, good for the sake of your primary relationships. This could be good for the sake of Paul. He's talking to a people who are, who are a church, so within your church. Or even you could probably, I would say, extrapolate it to society, that you would be a contributing member of society, that you must work, put your hand to the plow, right? Do something good that's for the benefit of others. And then he uses this phrase, with your own hands, which is, could be literal, but it's also this kind of symbolic, like it's the expression of a, of a person using their power and exercising it in the right ways. And I got to just say that um, when I read that, it makes me feel a little insecure because I'm not like a hands-on guy. I'm not a guy, I'm not good with, not good with my hands, I know a lot of you guys are, and I know a lot of you women are. My wife, really, really handy. She likes this verse, right? But for me, I just kind of go, man, I'm kind of the last guy that you want on the, the, the work site. Uh, if it's a mission trip and we're building something, like, you don't, you don't want me, you know? And, like, because I will show up, and I'll engage you in conversation. See? I'm a relational worker is what I am, right? And uh, I remember this one time that... Uh, at our old house, we needed a chain link fence ripped out, but it was so in deep and cemented in the whole thing. So I called some buddies and I said, hey, Saturday morning, could we, could we do this thing? And, and I'll, I'll have the coffee and I'll have some donuts and whatever. And, and we'll, we'll knock this thing out. So I don't know. I asked about six guys. I said, come over about 8, 8.39 in the morning. Andy Andreas shows up like 15, 20, 30 minutes before the stated time. I'm still, if I recall, I'm still in my bathrobe and in my slippers, and I'm working on my French press. You know, my French press coffee, I got my dentures and everything. He pulls in, he backs in his truck into the driveway, goes to the flatbed, grabs his pickaxe, grabs his shovel, grabs a sledgehammer, and doesn't even come to the door. He just starts going, wham, 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 wham. You know, and he's like just working out there. I'm just looking through the window. I'm in my blue powder robe, slippers, and I got my French press coffee just ready to press. And, you know, I'm looking through the window. I'm like, this is working out great is what I'm thinking, right? I'm like, now that is how to work hard. Somebody just gets after it. Like, I like to ease into it. My vision was around 11 or 12 o'clock, right before lunch hour, we'll start. And then we'll give this a go. But, but Paul... God, through the scriptures, says, I want you to work hard. Now, caveat. As I think about us as a body at large, there's different conversations about work. And the, the other one we're not talking about today is we can over-identify with our job. We can begin to think that we are what we do. And we can work so hard we don't know when to put the phone away or how to leave the office so that we can make the most important things our priority how we can build in rest and margin and prioritize relationships. That's a different conversation. And in fact, I've given that talk before. So I just want to acknowledge that. There is, there's maybe a tension there. I believe they go together. But what we're talking about here is this beautiful, challenging question. 
work hard. And I think some of us, I think maybe all of us, can engage with that. Do you work hard? In the job, in the place where you are right now, whether you like your job, like your, your boss, whether you are the boss, whether you're not, whether you, f- you feel like you're valued, whether you have meaning, belonging, connection, or anything like that, do you give your best to it? Do you give your best? Do you go for it? Do you leave it all on the field? Here's why. We've talked about that working does something in us. It gives us dignity. Working grows and builds relationship and trust with others. But there's another relationship that must be factored in, which is we work for the Lord, not for anyone else. And so Paul, in different places, he says, serve wholeheartedly, he says. Look, look with me here. Serve wholeheartedly as if we are serving the Lord, not people. And then he says, uh, in, a, in a different place, he goes, look, I, I'm just going to call you to do this wh- however. Like, look with me here. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. In a different place, as if to cover all the bases, whether you eat or whether you drink, do all for the glory of God. Have you ever thought about your job being something that grows your relationship with Jesus? And it does. And it does. Now, what I think is interesting in this passage, I think I said from the forefront, it's straightforward passage, but there's a little sizzle. Here's the sizzle part. That I think it taps, Paul's not trying to do this, but I think what it taps right now is this underlining socioeconomic political narrative Actually, it'll tap both extremes of what we find going on in the national debate of things. So some of us might hear the message I'm giving right now and read this passage from the Apostle Paul and say, dang straight, people need dignity. And with all of our programs and welfare and social this and social that, like we're enabling people, we're repeating the, the cycle of poverty, it's, it's, people don't experience the dignity of it and they're wasting my tax dollars. And to which I would say, number one, Paul's not talking about economic systems or social policies. However, I do think it can bring some challenge to the excesses of that. My counter challenge would be this. When my spirit gets kind of ratcheted up like that, I hear a lot of me, myself, and I. Even the phrase, my tax dollars. I go, no, actually, it's all the Lord's. Everything he's given me, my intellectual potential and capacity, the places he's placed me, where I was born, where I went to, like all those things, my money in my pocket, everything, it's all the Lord, so at least the shift should be wasting the Lord's tax dollars, right? But then conversely, what we're going to see in this passage is Paul challenging the other side of the spectrum, a different kind of ac- uh, excess. And let's look at that now. That... That, that word, so important. What Paul's saying, don't steal, right? So you gotta work. You gotta be a contributing member of your community. You do something good for the sake of others. You do it with your own hands. That, okay, so here's the that. Here's the why. They, that's us, all of us, may have something to share with those in need. And so all of a sudden, Paul's actually putting us all on the hook, right here, 
For us that just want to uh, say, okay, let's, you know, everyone's got to work hard in this whole thing. Yes, 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 let, let's, let's be challenged by that. But what is my so that? And Paul's reminding us that no matter what economic system you live in, that if it doesn't have at its core compassion, it's missing something because there are people in need. And the point of my work, while, while it, it bears dignity, while, it be, while, it, while it's at the very core has this sense of belonging and partnership and meaning, Paul's reminding us the point of my job isn't me. The point of my job isn't me. It's for the sake of others. It's for sharing. How many of us, when I asked you that question, when we thought, why do I work? How many of us thought, so I can give what I have to others? That is radical. Is that not radical? Now, wherever you are on that political spectrum, let's all just be challenged by that. That's what I love about the gospel. That's what I love about the Bible. That's what I love about the life and teachings of Jesus is that no matter where we land, we can all be challenged in this. So, here, so here's the bottom line of the message. We are all called to work. We are all called to do something good for the sake of others. And our deep why, our so that is that we ultimately can share. And I just have to tell you, like Heartlanders, the, 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 the many of you, when I get to sit down with you and I hear your life and I hear your story and I hear your motivations, I see this in you. And the people, whether they're doctors or whether they're working in the service industry, whether they're hairstylists that have this, I get to work and yes, there's deep dignity for me and I'm doing good for the sake of it. There's all those things. But my deep so that is that I get to join God who has blessed me, who has entrusted me with all of these things to give it away. I get to be generous. And those of you who are practicing that, there's nothing more stunning, more adventurous, more freeing, more joy-filled then we realize that in all of life and even in our vocations, we work for the sake of something far beyond ourselves, to build our relationship with the Lord, with others, and interestingly, even using our hands, getting down in the dirt, there's a sense of being reconnected back to the earth. And what does that do in you and me? Sets us free, sets us free. So I'm going to send you out with a question today. What's your so that? What is your so that? When you get on that plane later today, when you go and pour into your kids as a stay-at-home dad or mom, when you go uh, punch in at the shift or at the factory today, when you go back tomorrow as a supervisor or, or a business owner, what is your deep why? What is your so that? And is it beyond you? Is it beyond you? Is it beyond me? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you bring us challenge. We thank you that you always are working to free us, release us. We thank you that you made us for relationship and that even our work can build that too. Would you, God, would you show us and reveal to us our deep why, our big so that when we get in the car tomorrow, we drive into work, when we fire up the laptop later today, take us beyond ourselves for the sake of others. In Jesus' name, amen.